Luke chapter 19. And we'll be starting at verse 11. And reading down through verse 27. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. As, as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. You know, this is, you know, everyone was looking for the kingdom of God. Even the disciples were hung up on the idea that Christ was going to set up his kingdom. Uh, you know, they were still asking about that after the resurrection, as we're going to see in Acts chapter 1. But, but uh, this, was the, this was the mindset of everybody. And so he says this, makes this parable. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he is returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. Another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which, shall, which has shall be given, and from him which hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. The title of the message this morning is simply, Occupy Till He Comes. Occupy Till He Comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege of ours to be assembled together. Thank you for your precious word. And Father, as we look into thy word, I pray that you continue to speak to our hearts. Thank you again for the Sunday school hour this morning. And, and I pray that you, there, you would be glorified in our midst. Uh, as your word tells us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus world without end. So I pray that you be glorified. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, encourage us, uh, and strengthen us, and also challenge us in a closer walk with thee. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, this parable, and of course a parable is, you know, it is an earthly story you know, that teaches us a heavenly truth. But this parable is similar to the one in Matthew chapter 25, remember the parable of the talents. Uh, but it is different. This, this parable was spoken when he was nigh to Jerusalem. Uh, that was not. And, 
that one some days after entering it, and from the mountain was spoken from the Mount of Olives. This parable was spoken to the crowd, that to the twelve alone. And accordingly, uh, the servant of this parable, who professed subjection to him, there is a class of citizens who refuse to own him and who are treated differently, whereas the parable of the talents, spoken to the former class alone, this class, this, this class of citizens was omitted. So there are similarities to this parable of the talents, but yet there are differences, so it's not the same thing. Uh, but I want you to notice, I have, I have two points. That doesn't mean we're going to be done sooner, but, but uh, I have two points, but I have a lot of sub-points. Uh, first of all, I want, you, I want to notice the persons in the parable. The persons in the parable. Uh, we have, First of all, the nobleman, verse 11 and 12 says, And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Now the nobleman here refers to the Lord himself, Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Acts chapter 1, Verses six through seven, six and seven, Acts chapter one, verses six and seven. After the resurrection, of course, the Lord appeared to his disciples, and here he, they, they, again they ask him, verse six. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, "Lord, wilt thou this time restore again the kingdom of Israel?" And he said unto them, "It is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath put in His own power." But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So it was evident to them that he was say, telling them that now is not the time. Now is not the time. And of course, you know, you read on that passage, he ascends back up, he ascends into heaven. Your know, Revelation eleven fifteen says this, And the seventh angel sounded. Now, this is really referring to the last judgment during the tribulation. So the seventh angel signed that there were great voices in, say, in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So at that point in time, which is still yet future, the kingdoms of this world are going to be taken over by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is going to be enthroned as then as king of kings and lord of lords. So he is the nobleman that, that was, goes into the far country. You know, the kingdom at this time, as it is or was in the book of Luke, and as it is even this day, is not with observation. It is within you. The Bible calls it, says it is within you. It is spiritual. John 3, 5 says, Except a man be born again, born of the water and he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So the, the kingdom is here, but it is, it is not with observation. It's not, as we think of, a worldly kingdom. It is spiritual. But when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, it will be a visible kingdom of universal dominion. He's going to rule and reign over all the earth. And that's what they're asking about. That's what they wanted to come. That's what they were referring to. It says that they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And, but he says, no, the certain noble one, he said, I'm going to a far country. And of course, we know in John 14, he said, uh, you know, 
uh, that he was gone to his father's house to prepare a place for us, and that he will come again and receive us unto himself. So the nobleman is the Lord. It is the Lord. Secondly, we ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. The, the servants are the Lord's disciples. They are born again children of God. They are His servants. And as His servants, we are to do the business of the Lord. That's our purpose here. The word occupy means to be occupied in anything, to carry on a business. That's the idea. So, so it would be occupied, we're to be carried of the Lord. Uh, again, in Acts chapter 1, I should have told you to keep your place there. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do, about to do and to teach, until the day he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, he had given that commandment in Matthew chapter 28, and he gives it here again, and, and he's commanding them that they are to carry on the business that he began. What did Jesus do while he was here? He preached the gospel. And he started a church. He started a church. The first church. And that's what he is commanding us to be occupied in. So we are to continue the work that he has begun. In fact, uh, Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul uh, tells this or teaches this to the, the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, create a uh, creature or a new creation old things are passed away that is they continually passed away behold all things are become new and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation so this is our business this is what we're to be dealing in dealing doesn't sound like a nice word you know but we're not making deals but but it's, it's like uh, 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 someone would trade in business, and this is the business we're to carry on, we're to be active in, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did you seat you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. So we are his ambassadors. We're here to carry on his business. You know, when we... When, when, when the president appoints an ambassador, the ambassador is there representing us. He's representing our country. He speaks for our country. 
but he has the authority of our country, of our nation. And so we have, we've been given that authority to carry on the business of the work. You know, these servants, these servants in our, in our, in our parable were commissioned by the nobleman to trade, to do business with his goods, his money. It was his money. And he had told them to do business, to occupy, to carry on business with his money, to invest it, to gain with it. And you and I have been commissioned gospel. That we might see his work promoted in this world in which we live. So the servants are the Lord's disciples. The third thing, third group of people we see here are the citizens. The citizens. In verse 14 it says, But the citizens, his citizens hated him. Sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. Now the citizens are the people of the world. The people of the world. Particularly, of course, in context, you know, he was referring particularly to the children of Israel here, but, but really the application to us all. And Harry Ironside, in his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, said this, This parable was based on a historical incident that had taken place not many years before, and with which the people generally would be familiar. When King Herod died, that is, the Herod who lived when the Lord Jesus Christ was born, who decreed that all babies in Bethlehem should be put to death, he decreed in his will that Archelaus should succeed him on his throne. But the Jews hated this man, did not want him to reign over them, so they went over the sea to Rome with Augustus Caesar regarding the kingdom. For going away, he entrusted, that is Archelaus, entrusted large sums of money to many of his friends and gave instructions as to how this money was to be used in his absence in order to make other friends who would forward his interests and be ready to acknowledge his claims. But the Jews who hated him after him and said to Caesar, we don't want this man to reign over us. He's cruel, cruel and we hate every member of his house. Archelaus conferred with the emperor, secured his approval, and eventually returned to Jerusalem to be proclaimed king over Judea. He then sent for the servants to whom he had trusted the money and inquired as to the use they had made of it, rewarding them according to their faithfulness to his interests, after that, he summoned his enemies, who had been determined that they should not be recognized, that he should not be recognized as king, and put many of them to death. Uh, and of course, so the citizens here refer to the people of this world. In John nineteen fifteen, remember, Pilate asked the Jews, "Shall I crucify your king?" Now, these are the same people who said, we are in bondage to no man. And yet they turned around and said, we have no king but Caesar. The guy they hated. And yet they hated Christ more than they hated Caesar. You see, we have no king but Caesar. And you know, this is true also of the, the Gentiles. The majority of the Gentiles of this world hate Christ. They're opposed to him. In fact, go to Acts chapter 19. This has always been the case. You know, there was 
there was a great movement of God. Many churches were started in the book of Acts. But it did not include the majority of the citizens of the world. It was still a minority. It always has been a minority. Acts chapter 19, we find this at Ephesus. Verse 23, at the same time there rose no small stir about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain on the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of the like occupation, and said, Sirs, you know that by this, this craft we have our wealth. More of you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And notice, and the whole city was filled with confusion, having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel. They rushed into the theater. Uh, uh, they, traveled, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused and for the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with the hand, and would have made his defense unto the people. For they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours, cried out, Great is the Diana of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, You men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana, and of the image which fell down, from Jupiter. So, you know, again, the majority, here we have an example of the majority of people, they don't want God reigning over them. They don't want the Lord reigning. And it, this is still true. The, the world still worships its false gods. You know, America's God is materialism and pleasure. And so the citizens are the people of the world. Now, Secondly, I want you to notice the purpose of the parable. Purpose of the parable. First of all, I'm going to notice four things here. First of all, is to demonstrate we can bear fruit by the power of God. Notice, I want you to notice verse 16 and verse 18. Then came the first, saying, now notice this statement in particular. Think about the wording here. Lord, thy pound. I want you to think about thy pound. Not my pound, thy pound. Thy pound. Again, verse 18. Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. It is thy pound. You, each, of the, each of the servants credited the gift of the master for the work instead of their own effort. Or intelligence. It was the gift of the master that made the difference. Not, not their intelligence or not their own effort. And we find this principle taught in the Bible as well in other places. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Paul said, Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. The Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Not Paul, not Apollos, no God. It's God that gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. See, this, this demonstrates that we can bear fruit by the power of God. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So it is not I, but it is Christ that lives in me. It is not I that is that's capable of made me capable to do all the things that I've done, but Christ that lives in me. He said, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is then in vain. Frustrate, I believe, the grace of God by striving in the flesh and not submitting to the Spirit. Paul said, Philippians 4.13, all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, I believe we've seen an example of this, a vivid example, in Peter. Peter, after the Lord was arrested, in the, Peter in the flesh denied he even knew the Lord. Three times. I don't know this guy. How do you know him? He didn't, want to be, he didn't want to be associated with him. He was ashamed to be associated with him. Why? He was in the flesh. He feared, he feared being associated with him for his own life, for his own skin. But after the resurrection, filled with the power of the Spirit of God, he stands before the same crowd and says, Whom you crucified, and slew, and hanged on a tree. See, the difference was, as Acts 4.8 tells us, then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them. You see, we can, we can bear fruit by the power of God. It is the grace of God, it is the power of God that enables us to bear fruit, to overcome sin, to overcome problems that we face in life, to overcome the obstacles that come our way. It is only the grace of God. Secondly, it also demonstrates to us that there are degrees of fruit bearing. Notice verse 16 again. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. Verse 18, and the second came saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained Five pounds. Now they were all given a pound. And one gained ten, and one gained. You know, in the parable of the talents, in Mark chapter 8, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, not the parable of the talents, but the, the, uh, 
the seed and the sower, Mark or 4 verse 8, it says, Another fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. All are not equal. People are not the same. People are not the same. You know, no, no matter what our politicians are trying to tell us, you can't make people equal. I mean, you could, you, could, you could distribute all the wealth in the world and give everybody the same amount today, and in five years, there'd be vast differences. Vast differences. People are not equal. Some are more diligent. Some are more dedicated. Some are more sacrificial. Some will endure more hardness. And the word hardness there in Timothy is the hardship, troubles, the afflictions of life. Paul endured more hardness, at least what we have record of, than any of the other disciples. More hardness. More afflictions. Everywhere he went. And notice, those, those that received the word bear some fruit. Go to, go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 verse 15. And you know, this, this idea of, of inequality, if you want to call it that, we're all equal before God. We all have the same possibilities. But we have different personalities. We have different levels of dedication and different levels of diligence. And, you know, some of that could, some of that uh, has partly to do with our upbringing. But even that can be overcome. But, but uh, uh, we're just not all equal. But, but all of us, all of us ought to bear fruit. And I believe all, the, all that are truly born again will bear some measure of fruit. It isn't all going to be the same. But notice here in Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware false prophets come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewed down and cast into fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now there were three servants named were given. And that brings me to the third thing. There are unfaithful and wicked servants. Verse 21 says, verse 20, 21, Another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound which I have kept laid up in Babkin. For I feared thee because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. 
Now, the word napkin refers to a cloth for wiping perspiration from your face. Sweat cloth. It speaks of that which is used by a working man. But this servant takes his cloth, which would picture him working, and wraps his pound in the cloth and buries it. Now the point is, he didn't work. So this wicked, slothful servant felt that the Lord, really, felt the Lord was unworthy of his efforts. He, he's, he basically said, the Lord, Lord, you're a hard taskmaster. You know, many say, you know, all those thou shalt not. What's expected to live the Christian life? I'm just not willing to deny myself, forsake the world and its pleasures. I just want benefits. I just want a fire escape from hell. Forget all this other stuff. That's the attitude of a lot of people that name the name of Christ. I don't want the Lord, Lord of my life, telling me what to do. And yet, you know, we parents have expectations of our children. Employers have expectation and requirements of their employees, or you will be without a job. That's why some don't have jobs. There's expectations for employers. And yet we think we can live our own life, or people think they can live their own life, without regard for the Lord's will for their life. See, he said, thou art an austere man. That word austere means harsh, rough, and rigid. Now let me ask. You know, I assume you've read your Bible. Does that, is that a fitting description of one who laid down his life for us? John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, and his life for his friend. Well, the Lord Jesus laid down his life for sinners. Those at enmity or those who were enemies of himself. Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners or enemies of him, Christ died for us. So my question again is, does the word austere fit him? It's obviously something, someone who does not understand who the Lord is. A wicked servant. Wicked. That word wicked means evil, 
It's the same word used in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents. And in Matthew 25, verse 30, he says, you cast that unprofitable servant darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, though that servant called himself the servant of the Lord, he was not really a servant of the Lord. He was not a saved man. You know, Judas was a servant of the Lord for a while. Understand, Judas had a position in the first church. He was on staff. He was the treasurer. He carried the bag. He was the treasurer. Demas served the Lord for a while. Paul later wrote and said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present evil world. You know, Jesus told us there would be tares among the wheat. See, tares look like wheat until harvest. And then it's revealed, hey, that's not wheat after all. And the point is this, so we'll be among the wheat. They'll look like God's people until the harvest comes. And the Lord will determine they're not my children after all. Of course, he knew that all along. And if we don't act on the light God gives, we don't use it, we lose it. Notice verse 24, it says, And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound to him that hath ten pounds. So if you don't practice from your heart what you say you will believe, I believe the principle here is you will return to the world. Is that not what Judas did? Now, Get the picture. Let me try and, try and clear the picture here for you. So it's really referring to a person who has received light or, or uh, they know the truth of the gospel, but they've never truly repented of their sin. But they know it. And they like, they like it. It sounds good to them. And at first they receive it with joy, but it never penetrates the heart, never becomes part of, the, uh, never surrender their heart to the Lord. But after a while... When they find out, oh, there are expectations that go along with this. And then they say, nah, I don't want that after all. Hey, I could give you names of people that have been a part of this church who did that very thing. And that's what Peter refers to. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. This is what Peter refers to here in 2 Peter chapter 2. And I believe that's what you have in this servant, this wicked servant. Second Peter chapter 2 says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who shall privately bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So there's going to be false teachers in the churches who portray themselves as children of God, 
who he says are false. And and if, and, uh, and and I'm not going to read all this for sake of time, but if you drop down to verse 19, it says, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. That was Judas. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he has he brought into bondage. For after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. So in other words, they knew the way of righteousness. They knew what was right. They knew what they needed to do. Then after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and a sow that was washed to a wallowing in the mire. You know, a dog will throw up Right around and go back to the mud hole and roll in it. You know what? A lamb will not do that. A lamb will not do that. God calls us sheep. Judas was a sow. You know, Judas enjoyed walking around with Jesus and the disciples, seeing all these miracles that Jesus did. I mean, making the blind to see, the lame to walk, and and, you know, he carried the bag. He didn't have to worry about working and what he was going to eat. I mean, it was all supplied. And Jesus was popular amongst lots of people. He liked the miracles he did. He liked the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. He liked all that. It brought him a lot of attention. You're talking about we need to be servants? You're saying that See, Judas rejoiced in the light for a while. But by and by, he backed away from it. He said, I don't want that. You know, many people rejoice. They want their problems fixed. And they see Christianity as an all-out escape. Start learning about it. They think, you know, this isn't as easy as it appears. This isn't as good as it sounds. I mean, deny yourself and take up this cross daily and follow me. No, thank you. Fourthly, purpose of the parable here. Judge the wicked when he returns. Notice verse 27. But those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. God will judge the wicked. They of the wicked, the judgment will come. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 1, verses uh, 7 through 9, Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, spoke of this when he said, And you, to you who are troubled, 
rests with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed in heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall become to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So, you know, you get, do you get troubled with the fact that the, world, the wicked seem to prosper in this world? And that's what Paul's saying here. To you who are troubled, just rest. The day of the wicked and their judgment is coming. And then he will be glorified in his saints. Psalm 9, 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 7. <clears throat> Now this is after the millennium, you, know, you picture here, the Lord comes back, he sets up his kingdom. There's a thousand year reign of Christ, of peace, of prosperity, uh, of joy throughout the earth. And, and, um, and then it says, and when the thousand years are expired, Revelation 20 verse 7, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about. And the beloved city, which referred to Jerusalem, I believe, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So even after a thousand years of peace and of harmony, man will rebel against God in one last final attempt to overthrow the king of kings. And you would think after a thousand years of peace and harmony on the earth, like the world never known. That the people would say, Yeah, well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna obey him. We're gonna own him as Lord. God will judge the wicked in his day. See, the point is, we are all his offspring. That is, we have been created by him and for him. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 what? Know ye not that ye are the body? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. You're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, God has given us, our Lord has given us the privilege, the privilege to do business, to do his business. Till he comes, till his return. To be involved in carrying out his work. And the reward for faithful servant is not rest, but more service. Think about it. When the, when the, when the, when the one who gained ten, he gave him 
more. He took from the one who didn't gain anything and gave it to the one who had ten. See, the great reward of God, one, one commentator said this, the great reward of God to the man who had satisfied the test is more trust. You're in a company or working for someone and they see that you fulfill your responsibilities and do more, guess what you're likely to get? A promotion. Do you know what a promotion is? It's called more responsibility. It's called, it's really saying your employer has more trust and confidence in you. When we are faithful in doing the business of the Lord, the Lord gives us more. Morris said this, in, quote, in the Christian life, we do not stand still. We use our gifts and make progress or we lose what we have, unquote. Of course, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of God. Moreover, it's required in the stewards that a man be found faithful. You see, we are to occupy till he comes. You know, what are we occupied in? What do you occupy yourself with? The world's full of distractions. Are you busy serving the Lord? Or are you like some employees just along for the ride? You know, we are to occupy. And we can have the bring fruit through the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus and take what he has given to us and multiply it. Are we using our talents and our abilities for him?